So did everyone grab a bulletin this morning? I'm sure you've all read the front of it, because I have a confession to make that has nothing to do with our sermon this morning. Well, it kind of, it kind of does. I, I, I do have a confession to make. Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we were supposed to go to Havelock on Saturday for a, a meal, and then Sunday and Monday to my sister's cottage, and uh, so we planned a family trip to the Norwood Fair Saturday before we went to Allison's dad's for supper. And uh, at about five o'clock in the morning on Saturday, both Alice and I, not feeling that great with a cold, I could hear it pouring rain outside. And so I looked at my phone, went on to the weather, and it said it was going to be rainy for Saturday, but Sunday was going to be sunny, no rain. And I said to Allison, why don't we skip the fair today and we'll skip church on Sunday and we'll go to the fair and then go straight to my sister's from there. And that's what we did. Only to be dealt two consequences. One, it ended up being beautiful on Saturday. And Sunday, we missed being here. And on Friday, I was meeting with Ben uh, and just minutes before our, our meeting ended, I can't remember why we were talking about what I was going to be speaking on today. And I shared with him what I was going to speak on, and he got this smirk on his face. And I go, okay, what? And he goes, you weren't here on Thanksgiving, were you? I go, no. He said, that's exactly what I spoke on. <laughs> oh. And so I faced with this dilemma. I don't want Ben to show me up by speaking on the same passage, so I can't speak on that passage. But Daniel and I, out of all the weeks I've gone back and forth with the praise team leader, I think Daniel, this week I've spent more time talking to a praise team leader than ever, crafting the the order of service and picking specific songs and going, okay, I can't throw Daniel off on Friday afternoon and tell him, no, no, we got to scrap everything. But I didn't want to speak on the same thing that Ben had already just spoken on. So I thought, okay, what can I speak on? And uh, so what you're going to hear this morning, is it, the, the songs fit. Uh, it's, it's kind of related to what I would have been speaking on. But it's a passage that came to my mind uh, as I scrambled a little bit Friday night to think of what can I, what can I speak on, on on Sunday that would speak to uh, what we were already planning. So that's my confession. The lesson, don't skip church. I tell you. Like, it's the first time in, like, forever that we skip church. And anyways, it's a bad, bad thing. Bad thing. Anyways. Have you ever gone shopping and bought something, and you're standing at the cash register? Maybe it's a bag, or maybe it's a box. uh, And the person at the cash register says, do you want some help getting that to your car? Uh, And if you're like me, I would never accept anyone's help. I can carry it myself. And so you've got this heavy bag or a heavy box and you're making your way to your vehicle, and you get about halfway to the vehicle, and you realize this is really heavy. And I'm not sure if I am going to make it to my car. Where can I put it down? Where can I sit down uh, for a rest? Uh, and I, like, I see people struggling, especially with shopping bags, and you'll see people walking along the street with about four bags in each hand. They're probably wishing that they had, had taken uh, that offer uh, of help. I remember as a kid, we lived about a mile away from Woco, the Agent Court Mall in Scarborough. Uh, and I was buying weights for my weight set. And I bought two uh, 
plates, and I can't remember. I, I'll say they were 45 pounds each, but I'm sure they weren't. They were probably like even 10 or probably 10 pound weights, two 10 pound plates. And I decided, I, there's no reason why I can't carry this home. Uh, and uh, it got really heavy carrying this box of weights home. And what a relief to finally make it home. And to be, I felt like my arms were about three times longer uh, than, than what they really were. And, and, uh, and one of my problems carrying heavy weights, uh, especially a box, especially when, well, when I got married, Allison told me that no matter how big you let your belly get, you're not letting it hang over your belt like some people do. Your pants have to sit at your belly button. Well, if you're carrying a heavy box and you're pushing it against your stomach, what happens? Your pants fall down. And so many times I've had this heavy weight plus weighted down with the burden of not knowing whether I'm going to make it to my car with pants intact. What a relief to get to the car for for me and for for anyone else that could be watching. Uh, and I was thinking, of, I was, uh, went to one of Nally's uh, rugby games this year at, at Saint, I think it's St. Peter's, the Catholic school here uh, in Peterborough. And if you know the playing field there, uh, there's quite a hill that goes down to the playing field. Uh, and when I got there, the, the, the uh, boys' football teams were practicing. Uh, and then I walked down the hill and Natalie's r- rugby team was playing St. Peter's. And it reminded me way back many years ago when I was in high school, one of the drills that we did uh, for football, we had a similar hill that went down uh, to the playing field. And what we would have to do is we would have to partner up with someone who is of a similar size, which really stunk for me because uh, it was usually one of the bigger guys that I had to partner with. And what we had to do as a drill, and it was a, it was, it was a, a challenge, last pair standing, you had to take turns putting your partner on your back, full equipment, and run up the hill, and then run back down, and then switch. Uh, And I can remember just dying. Uh, And uh, the relief, even if you didn't win, the relief to find, say, you know what, we can't go on, and then we just get to, you know, because we're the bigger guys, we we probably got to to sit down sooner than some of the smaller guys, uh, and, and and enjoy just relaxing while the competition kept going on until finally there was a pair that had won. And you might even what in the world is Brent talking about? Maybe he should have done that sermon he was planning on doing. But, but there is a serious reason. I, I share these stories about, about carrying a heavy load and, and, and being burdened down with a weight. And that's because I, I've talked to some of you and, and through elders' meetings and through discussions with others, I've heard from others about stories concerning some of you. And carrying a heavy burden and being weighted down with a, a heavy load describes your life experience that you're going through right now. And just like me in that football drill, you're finding it hard to keep going. People are passing you by. You want to give up. You just feel overburdened. And we talk a lot here at Auburn about how the Christian life is to be one of abundance and and peace and, and blessing and joy. And yet for a lot of followers of Jesus, our life experience is a lot like that football drill. We're going through life carrying a heavy burden. And often it's, it's, it's a burden that's related to sin. And 
the burden of guilt that goes along with sin. And some of us are going through our our daily life and, and we're burdened with the guilt of the skeletons that we've got hanging in our closet. The guilt that we feel because of of secret sins that we still cherish. The the guilt we feel because of our part in a conflict or a broken relationship. The guilt we feel uh, because we don't live up to to people's expectations of us. The the guilt we feel because of our past mistakes or our, our past lifestyle. The guilt that we feel because of our inadequacies. And carrying that heavy weight, at least when I walked home with those 20 pounds of of weightlifting plates, I knew there was relief in sight. Because when I got home, I could put the weight down. For some of us, there doesn't appear to be relief in sight from that burden, from that load. And it takes its toll. We're not growing spiritually. We feel paralyzed trying to move forward. Our relationship with God has grown cold and, and, and He seems so distant and, and there's pain and there's, there's anguish that goes along with it. And, and the question that I would ask us this morning is, is how do we succeed in our Christian walk when we're under such a heavy load? And what can we do to relieve ourselves of that burden? What can we do to experience freedom from guilt. And I know as I ask the, those questions that, that some of you are going, I've heard this all, I've heard it many times. You're going to talk about forgiveness. I know that in the end, things will work out. I think I'm just going to kind of slip my way into heaven in the end. You see, the problem is for some of us, we we don't know what it's like and we don't know how to live now in the reality of God's forgiveness. You know, the the media and, and, and social media has been going crazy with the uh, presidential election down in the States pulling out all the past indiscretions of Donald Trump and and Hillary Clinton. Randy, we even got caught in the discussion this morning. It's a frenzy. But you know, Hillary and Donald weren't the first wannabe leaders who had past discretions and who probably should feel guilty because of some of them. The person I thought of when I decided I was going to change my direction for this Sunday was, was King David. If there's any, ever anyone that had some past discretions to feel guilty about, it was King David. And you're probably very familiar with the story. I shared this story a couple of years ago. But King David, his soldiers are off to war. And, and he spots this beautiful woman bathing finds out it's the wife of one of his soldiers. Her name's Bathsheba. David was a follower of God. He he knew he shouldn't have done anything. She was a wife of one of his soldiers. 
But temptation took over. And he had Bathsheba brought to him and he slept with her. And I'm, I'm sure David probably felt guilty and knew that what he had done was wrong, but he ex- excused it as a minor indiscretion. No harm had been done. No one needed to find out. Just keep it quiet. Time heals all wounds. It'll just all go away. He didn't count on the fact that Bathsheba was going to become pregnant. Bathsheba sends word to King David that she's pregnant and all hopes that David may have had that uh, this sin was going to be kept secret or shattered. But he comes up with a plan. His first plan is that he's going to invite Uriah, the soldier, back and hope that he would spend time with his wife and sleep with his wife. And that didn't work. And so he thought, well, maybe I'll get Uriah drunk and he'd then sleep with his wife. And But Uriah refused to enjoy the privileges that his fellow soldiers who were still out on the front fighting uh, couldn't enjoy. And so he refused to sleep with Bathsheba. So David came up with a second plan. And that was that he would send Uriah back to the fighting and have him placed in a real dangerous uh, position on the front lines. And it worked. Uriah was killed. And the the, uh, icing on the uh, cover-up cake was that David married Bathsheba. The perfect cover-up. Nobody would know. Nobody would think any differently. And besides, why would King David even have to worry? He's a king. Kings did what they wanted to. It was the divine right of the king to choose any woman that he wanted. But a year later, David is confronted by the prophet Nathan. Nathan tells the king about the story of a rich man and a poor man. Rich man had all sorts of resources, all sorts of cattle, all sorts of lamb. Poor man and his family, they had one, one sheep. It was like a family pet. Well, this rich man had a visitor and decided he was going to prepare a a meal for his visitor. And so instead of picking from the many uh, animals he could have chosen from uh, out in his pasture, he took the poor man's one sheep and he killed it and cooked it and and fed it to his guest. Nathan's telling King David this story. King David is getting furious. How could that rich man do that to the poor man? As sure as the Lord lives, the person who has done that must die. And as King David uttered those words, I'm sure Nathan must have been feeling his neck. But he knew what he had to say. He said, King David, you're the man. And King David's heart 
sunk because he suddenly realized more vividly than ever he was the man. He had stolen Uriah's wife. He'd had Uriah killed. And Nathan shared with King David the word of the Lord that there were some consequences that were going to happen to David's family, one of them being that his son would die. And David then uttered those real difficult words. I have sinned. And it's out of that hurt and sadness and brokenness and and guilt that David sat down and wrote a poem. A poem that 3,000 years later we can turn back to time and time again and we can learn and be instructed on how we can experience full forgiveness and how we can experience the release from the guilt that weighs us down. And if you haven't guessed it already, that psalm is is Psalm 51. And and I want to read that psalm to you, this poem that he wrote. If you want to turn, you might as well turn in your Bible because we'll we'll refer back to the psalm uh, as we're going along. If you just want to sit and listen uh, to what David wrote, just try to feel the the emotion and the the pain uh, as he writes these words. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness in the womb, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And you know, in in a way, the story of David and Bathsheba and this resulting poem, it's kind of like a Hallmark movie. He does this terrible thing. He's confronted. He, he asks for forgiveness and he writes this beautiful poem and, and, and life went on its merry way for King David. And yet the scripture makes it very clear it wasn't the case. This is not a candy-coated story. 
David live with the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. And yet, as David dealt honestly with his sin before God, he, he tells us that he found himself in this glorious place. He calls it the blessed place. Blessed meaning happy. David found himself in a happy place. A place o- only made possible by the grace of God. That happy place being a place where he was experiencing peace and joy. Where, where he was experiencing the freedom from guilt. Where he was experiencing full forgiveness. Where he was experiencing the ability to stand honestly before God, fully disclosed. Fully disclosed. And from that place, we see in Psalm 51 that, that, that David makes two great discoveries. And they're discoveries for him and they're discoveries for us as well. And the first thing he discovers is this. Our confessed sin is no match for God's forgiveness. I hope that's reassuring for some of you this morning. Your sin does not overwhelm God when it comes to forgiveness. David uses... It's poetry. And he wants to give us this full picture, full understanding of, of, of what sin is and the kind of sins that God's willing to forgive. And, and so in, in, verse, in, one, in verses 1 and 2, we, we see these words. and He says, Blot out my transgressions, which is defiant disobedience. Wash away all my iniquity. Iniquity, morally distort or pervert something. And cleanse me from my sin. And we know sin, we've heard it many times, means to miss the mark or, 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 or to fall short. And so he uses sin and iniquities and transgressions to get across the point that God forgives all sins, small sins, big sins, sins against him, sins against people, sins that we're conscious of, sins that we're not conscious of. God forgives all sins because God is not overwhelmed with our sin. But here's a problem. God might not be overwhelmed with our sin, but sometimes we're not overwhelmed with our sin either. The Bible makes it very clear that when David uses that word sin, that that we all fall short, we all miss a mark. The Bible makes it very clear that we're all sinners. We all fall short. We all miss the mark. It's, It's just our reality. And the the other side of the equation, which is also a a reality, is is God's take on sin. God can't tolerate sin. He's repulsed by sin. He has to deal with the problem of sin. And so sin comes with its consequences. If you've never put your your, your trust in the person and work of Jesus on your behalf, your sin's consequence is that you are eternally separated from God. But for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior, there are consequences to our sin. It inhibits our prayer life. 
It obstructs the intimacy of our, our fellowship with God. It, it grieves the spirit. It, it keeps us from growing spiritually. Along with it comes pain and, and anguish. And so it's important that we understand the seriousness of sin. The sin is a problem. It's something that God cannot tolerate and God will deal with. But David discovers that his confessed sin, our confessed sin, is no match for God's forgiveness. The other thing he discovers is this, is that God's forgiveness is complete. And he uses a number of words to describe what God does uh, with a person's sin when asked. And, and David says, I'm gonna, he says, wash away all my iniquity and, and, and cleanse me from my sin. And we get wash away and cleanse. We understand what that means. There's, there's something that needs to be taken away. And so we wash it. We, we, we clean it. But here's the one I really love. Blot out my transgressions. And what's a, I think when I say the words blot out, I think of uh, I think all that stuff we used to use. I don't think computers, you don't need it anymore. White out. The word blot out literally means exterminate, obliterate. Now, I've had red squirrels in our soffit at home. And we also had a, a wasp or a hornet's nest that must have been about this big outside of one of, the, one of my children's windows. And our neighbor at the time worked for pest control. And I asked him to come over. And I can tell you, and if you're a nature lover, I'm sorry, I was not too concerned if I was to find out that he was having red squirrel for supper that night. And I didn't care what he did with that hornet's nest. I wanted it gone. I wanted it wiped out. I wanted it obliterated. He's an exterminator. Do your job. And that's what David says that God does with our sins. He obliterates it. He exterminates it. And elsewhere in the Psalm, Psalms, David uses other words. He, he talks about us being forgiven, which... which, which literally means to have our burden lifted. Uh, he, he talks about having our sins covered, which means to be hidden or concealed. And, and, and he also talks about having our sins not counted against us, which literally means to have our debt canceled. And so you're going, okay, Brent, what's with the word study? I want you to understand the extent of God's forgiveness that God is willing to lift the burden of your guilt and remove it for good. That he is willing to hide your shame so that you don't have to live in that shame anymore because God promises he won't bring it up again. And God is willing to cancel the debt that is owed for sin, that you owe for sin. It's not your debt to deal with anymore. Isn't that the happy place that you'd like to be? A life where we're experiencing peace and joy, freedom from guilt, understanding that we're fully forgiven, feeling okay to come before God naked, fully disclosed, honest with God. And yet too many of us choose to live 
carrying this burden. Prisoners of a guilty conscience. Yeah, believing that I'm forgiven in the end and I'm going to make it into heaven. But for now, there's not a chance that God's going to forgive everything that I've ever done. Oh, he might forgive some of these nice people that are sitting around me here, but he must have a limit. I've screwed up so many times. Living now in the fullness of God's forgiveness and experiencing the removal of guilt, that's not something for me yet. And to all these excuses and objections, David continues on in the psalm because he wants us to understand how each one of us can find ourselves in that happy place. And as he carries on and, and continues on, and, and, and especially in the first six verses, it begins with confession. And I know confession is kind of a confusing topic. For a lot of us, when we hear the word confession, we, we think of our Catholic friends who would go to their priest and they would confess their sin. And we've, I've only seen it depicted in movies and shows and, and it's, it looks kind of awkward. And, and those of us who are Protestants, we, we pride ourselves in the fact that no, there's God and man and one mediator and we go through Jesus. John in, in 1 John writes that if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. He's writing this to Christians. Those who are followers of Jesus. He says, but if you confess your sin, God's faithful and just to, to forgive you that sin, to, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we, we pride ourselves that we have this mediator, Jesus. We don't have to go to a priest to confess. John is telling us that, that you're deceiving yourself if you say that you're without sin, but if you confess your sin, you, you who are believers, you're already saved. If you confess your sin, God will forgive you. He's faithful. And yet confession ranks right up at the top as one of the most neglected Christian disciplines. And I think it's because of confusion because of a lack of understanding about what confession really is. And we see in Psalm 51, through David's example, that confession begins with an appeal to the mercy and compassion of God. I'm not gonna ask how many people have ever gotten a speeding ticket. I've gotten a few. And I realize that when you get pulled over and the policeman comes to your window and tells you what you have done, do you understand? Do you realize that you were speeding? You were doing 120 in a 100 zone. I can think of four options that I can appeal to. The first one I can appeal to is to a lie. No, officer, you're wrong. I, I wasn't doing 120 kilometers. In fact, my tires wobble if I go over 110. So there's no way that I could have been, your, your radar gun is wrong. I could appeal to a lie. I could appeal to law and justice. Yes, officer, you're right. I was doing 20 kilometers an hour and I appeal to the courts and I want you to punish me for what I deserve. Now, maybe some of you are much holier than I. I never have said that to a police officer. I'm not going to appeal to law and justice because I'll get what I deserve. 
I could appeal to my merit and achievements. Well, you know, officers, it's the first time I've ever been pulled over for speeding. Uh, if I, I got a totally clean uh, dr- driving record. Uh, I drive 100,000 kilometers a year. Never had an accident. This is the 15th car I've owned. Or I could appeal to the officer's, the officer's mercy and compassion. I got pulled over once. I said these exact words. They, it was in the U.S., so I was told I was doing a 65 and a 50, and I said, officer, you're right. I was doing 65. I turned onto a different freeway. It was a construction zone. I didn't realize that the, the speed had gone down to 50. I was doing 65. Do you have any brakes that you can give me today? David, confronted with his sin, had all those different appeals that he could have made. He knew he was wrong. He knew he deserved judgment. He could have appealed to, to, to law and, and to justice, and he would have got what he deserved. He could have appealed to his merit uh, or his achievements or, or his position. But David appealed to the only place that he felt that he had a chance. And that was to the mercy and to the compassion of God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. And so on. And the same is true for us. All we have to appeal to is to the mercy and to the compassion of God. Because I don't want you to be led astray. Sin must be judged. Sin must be dealt with. But we can appeal to the mercy and compassion of God. Paul says in Romans 12, talking about what he's just said in, 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 in the 11 chapters preceding, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Well, what's God's mercy about? Well, he tells us that his mercy is demonstrated in the person of Jesus who came and what? He took the judgment for our sin. He paid the price that we owed. And it's because of mercy that we can experience such a great salvation. Paul says it's by grace that we are saved. We read that God demonstrated his love towards us that in, uh, while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. So our appeal is to the mercy and compassion of God when it comes to the area of confession. Another thing about confession is that uh, it, it involves being honest with God and an end to all of our excuses. I was saying to Richard at the, uh, before the service started, you know, King David, we can, we can point the finger at David. Like, what a horrible example of how to deal with sin and such a horrible indiscretion. Like, to treat it like a minor indiscretion and to make excuses and, and, and to, to think that you can fly under, the, uh, under God's radar and not be under his scrutiny and, and to come up with all these cover-up plans. And, and we can point the finger at David and then I think, well, what do I do with the sin in my life? The sin that I know that I commit and that I have committed, how do I deal with it? I know there are things that I do that I shouldn't do and I believe that they're small enough that God is going to turn a blind eye. 
And I've totally missed what I just said five minutes earlier. That sin is serious. And God is repulsed by it. He can't tolerate it. And he will deal with it. So when it comes to confession, we have to be honest. No excuses. And then the other thing about confession, it involves saying what God says about our sin. That's what the word confess means. Literally, it means to speak the same. And what's God say about sin? That it's our responsibility. That we're guilty. That ultimately, it's against him. We're choosing our way over his way. And, and that, it, that it comes with a price. And the other thing about confession is, it, it's not, and this is sometimes I think where our confusion is too, it's not just about relationship. It's also about fellowship. We think of confession when we become a Christian. We confess our sin, we, we receive forgiveness, and, and we become a follower of Jesus. But we are also to confess our sin so that we can restore the intimacy of fellowship that we have with God, our Father. And that sometimes gets a little confusing when we're thinking about God and that we're a Christian, and I thought we were fit, forgiven, and we're saved. But we get that with our spouse and with our kids. I have full confidence uh, in my wife's commitment to me. I, I don't worry that I'm going to come home and she's left. But boy, there are things that I've done that have effect, affected the intimacy of our relationship. I remember one year, it was on Valentine's, and we went out, it was, we were in Ajax at the time, and, and I took her out to a restaurant, and we were sitting at the table, and it was dead silence. I said, what's wrong? And she said, Brent, she said, like, this is just so strange. Like, we haven't been talking for the last two weeks. We've had all these issues that, that we've been needing to deal with, and that because it's Valentine's Day, we're going to sit and pretend that everything is okay. Ended up having a fantastic discussion. Got a lot of stuff out on the table. And we restored that intimacy. Well, we need to do that with God too. And that's confession. But how is this happy place even possible? This, this place of peace and joy and f freedom of guilt and the, the burden of sin, forgiveness. How is it possible? Because there are scenarios in life where we're contrite and, and we confess uh, and we plead for mercy and compassion, and we don't get it. That police officer I asked, any breaks today? His response, I'm out of breaks today. And I paid the full price for my speeding ticket. Why would we imagine it's going to be any different than God who's repulsed for our sin, can't tolerate our sin, and is going to judge sin and has to deal with sin? Well, the answer is in Psalm 51. And the answer is found in the power of the blood. And you're going, okay, I don't see blood even in Psalm 51. Look at verse 7. David says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop is a plant. Hyssop is what the children of Israel dipped into the blood of the sacrificed lamb and smeared it on the top of their door frame. 
so that the angel of death passed their home by during that final plague in Egypt. First Corinthians, Paul tells us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. In 1 John, we read that it's the blood of Jesus that purifies us from sin. John in Revelation 5 tells us that there is someone who is capable of bringing God's plans to final fulfillment. There is someone who's worthy to open the seals. It's Jesus. He's worthy because he was slain. And it says, by his blood, he purchased a new people for God. So how is this happy place? How is forgiveness? How is freedom from guilt possible? It's possible because of the blood of Jesus. And what do we have to do? Well, yes, we understand the problem of our sin. And yes, we come honestly before God and we confess our sin, but there's nothing else for us to do because Jesus has done it all. And he offers to us the gift of forgiveness. And all we need to do is receive it. To receive it and to experience the fullness of his forgiveness, to experience the freedom from guilt And there's some of you here this morning and I know that that you've never crossed the line of faith. That right now you're living in the consequences of your sin and maybe yet you still don't really understand this whole issue of sin and you're not really sure of your, your need for Jesus and we continue to pray for you and we continue to ask you to ask us questions so we can, we can help you to, to understand. But God wants to forgive you of your sin. He has judged the penalty for sin on his son. And Jesus has paid the price. And you can experience forgiveness of sin and freedom from guilt. But for those of us who have already gone through that step, we don't have to live with this heavy load of sin. We don't have to live with the burden of guilt. My prayer for us this morning is that we can say those words of of David in Psalm 32. And just listen to these words. This is where we find out about the happy place. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave, you lifted up the guilt of my sin. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Daniel, let us sing.